Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, we have a special guest. I'm joined by one of the first players to go pro overseas. Uh, guy was a human highlight mixtape waiting to happen, and he put up some big games in the NBA with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Detroit Pistons and other teams as well. It's Brandon Jennings. Brandon, I appreciate you hopping on the line with us. How you doing, brother? Good, good. What's up, Michael? What's up, man? I'm good, man. Out here in California, just chilling right now, relaxing, enjoying this weather. Good stuff, man. I know you were just at, uh, it seems like the other day, you were just at the uh, Milwaukee Bucks parade when they won the title. So uh, nice to see you doing well out there. Yeah, yeah. The parade was crazy. Uh, that whole Bucks experience, man, been winning the six. Uh, the parade is something I'll never forget. I think I had about 30 beers. So I'm still recovering, but I'm gonna be all right. <laughs> <laughs> you're living life, and it's good to see. Um, one of the other things you're also doing is you're doing an NFT drop, and you're collaborating with Ball Is Life. Um, so for the listeners that are tuning in, and and the readers as well that are looking at this transcript on on Hoops Hype, what are some more details you can share about that uh, with our audience? Okay, well, I'm doing it with Black Party. Um, it's a digital um, um, where you can collect um, collectibles on the platform and things like that. And and I just I just felt like with my business partner, um, you know, we just felt like it was best to just start it off with, uh, you know, my high school highlights with Ball is Life. You know, they have everything from my career on down, um, you know, since I was like, you know, in the eighth grade all the way to high school. So it's just something that, you know, I feel like where the world is going right now with digital art and, and everything like that. So we'll be able to, you know, sell my high school highlight tape and also be able to give out some personal surprises. Well, you know, it's certainly picked up a lot. We've seen with the NBA, with Top Shot, what they're doing. So, uh, you know, you touched on those, some of those like high school mixtapes and, and some other things. Is is this going to be like a one-time NFT drop or are you going to try to do more stuff with NFTs and, and Tough Crowd? Yeah, yeah. So um, the first one we're going to do is my high school highlight, and then we're going to bring Tough Crowd in, which is my clothing line, um, where where people can dress their avatars in Tough Crowd clothes, and you also get one-on-one pieces from Tough Crowd that people won't ever be able to get. Um, and then we're going to bring in my 55-point game uh, against Steph Curry. Uh, well, well, not against Steph. I don't like saying against Steph Curry, but against um, you know the Golden State Warriors my rookie year, and it'll be able to come with a jersey and uh, the pair of the shoes that I wore. That's what's up. Um, and like I touched on, you know, we've seen NBA Top Shop kind of get in that NFT space. And um, for you, like, wh- what made you kind of get into it and, and go in with, with Black Party to do your own NFT drop with that 55-point game and some of the other highlights from high school that you're going to have coming up? Well, I just feel like Black Party is committed to helping, like, you know, empower brands uh, from a deeper connection with the fans and things like that. So, 
me and my business partner, we were just saying like, man, this would be a perfect opportunity with this platform that they have to launch, you know, Tough Crowd, um, Ballers Life, partnerships like that. And then we'd be able to, you know, just be able to sell like, you know, the physical product too, you know, like, you know, with the Ballers Life, you know, you get the tape that comes with it. And so it just all makes sense. It just, it just all makes sense to just, you know, be able to, um, you know, launch this. You know, it's funny when you say tape, I don't think some people know like VCRs back in the day, you know what I mean? But <laughs> um, but that those NFTs are going to be collectibles. We've seen it more. But there are some people that don't know as much about the NFTs and, and like stuff like NBA Top Shot is doing. So for those that are listening, what are like the benefits for your fans to collect those type of um, moments from from your past well we'll be one of one pieces and you'll be only one to be able to have it um you know just my viable pieces my my from my career on down things that i've done in my career um you know things from my um my clothing line like tough crowd and things like that and we're also like you know it's just the it's this art you know and i feel like everybody loves art so you know it's just a, a just a great way to be able to um create a new platform everybody else and obviously, you when you were in high school, you had a ton of mixtapes before you went pro overseas. So for some of these younger guys that are playing now, how do you see these type of mixtapes and even now, uh, you know, college athletes getting some opportunities to profit off their likeness? How how do you see these mixtapes and the merchandise NFTs helping other young players gain visibility? Um. I mean, I just I think it's just the way the world is going, man. I mean, you know, every every other you know every year the world's just getting better or whatever whatever with technology and things like that. So I think it's a great opportunity just for the kids. Um, I just know myself when I was overseas at 18. You know, there was already kids at 15, 14 years old. Um, you know, already getting paid to play professional basketball and already you know signing contracts. You know, till they're all the way to 18. So, you know, with this with their highlights. And the things that, you know, all the hard work that they put in. I mean, of course, I think it's great, you know, for kids to get paid and to be able to, you know what I'm saying, because of them, you know what I'm saying? They're putting in the work and they're putting in the time and everything. So, you know, they should be able to benefit off that. So now that it was different when you went pro, this wasn't the case that, you know, college players could profit off their likeness. So now that those players can profit from their likeness on the college level, I was curious from your perspective, what do you think that that means, not only for those kids, but even the game of, of college basketball? Uh, well, it's changing. Um, I mean, you know, you can go back to the, you know, O'Bannon, O'Bannon days with Sonny McCurl, um, you know, when, you know, we stopped the NCAA from, you know, um, being able to, you know, make money off kids without them getting paid. So, um, you know, I think everything that, a lot of the other players that didn't go to college, like myself, um, Melo Ball, and you know some of the other players that that skipped, um, you know, it just forced their hand. You know, it just forced their, you know, it just forced it to everybody's hand. Do you, I'm just, I mean, it's you know, obviously hindsight's 2020, but if you had the ability, right, to profit off your likeness and and play here in the United States in college, would would that have changed your decision at all? Or were you set on going pro overseas no matter what in a hypothetical situation? Um, I felt like during that time, I did want to go to college. Like I was committed to Arizona and then, um, you know, uh, Luke Olsen had retired. So college was always 
in the make. But I mean, I always had dreams of going straight out of high school. Like that was always my dream to be like, you know, one of the next LeBron James and um, Sebastian Telfer and all those type of guys. So um, I think my decision probably was to just go pro. So for you at the time, with the dynamics that you had, you touched on it a little bit, but when when you were sitting down and making your final decision to skip college and, and go pro overseas at 18, what went into that entire decision and how did you decide that that was the best route for you at that time? Uh, well, I feel like I had good advisors, um, Sonny McCarroll. Um, you know, he was, you know, he was the one to orchestrate everything, get the deals done also with Bill Duffy, uh, during that time. So, you know, those two, uh, you know, those guys, um, you know, they really orchestrated everything for me, made sure I was put in the right position. Um, you know, Chris Stone and Senator McCurley got the deal done with Under Armour. So everything just kind of happened really fast, um, during the time where I really didn't have any time to really think. And, you know, so he just put it together and then it was time to go. When you made that decision, it's obviously would have been hard at the time for you to foresee what it would mean for other players. But we've seen since then, um, you know, guys like LaMelo Ball, RJ Hampton, more recently that have gone overseas straight out of high school and uh, done their thing over there. So now that you've had time to kind of see this evolution since the time you went overseas, what do you think that your decision meant? for those future prospects who ultimately decided to go pro overseas? Yeah. Well, at first, you know, uh, I was like, man, this is a big risk. Like, you know, what if this don't work out? Boom, boom. Like, you know, um, you know, I was watching the news a lot of ESPN, you know, about my decision. It was, it was totally different. A lot of people in college wasn't feeling it. Um, but now that I look back at it now, you know, like 12 years from, from then or something like that. Um, you know, I'm happy I did make the decision. I'm happy, I'm happy that other kids did follow and it didn't work out for them. Um, that means it does work. It can work. Um, and, you know, we'll just see what the future holds. For you, when you made that decision, what, what was it like for you as a teenager living life overseas on your own? Because it, it seems like it's different. You mentioned kind of the, the, the Euro, you know, European players. They're doing this, this at like 13, 14, some of these kids. Um, so so for you individually, what was that transition like to be overseas on your own as a teenager at 18 at the time? Um, well, I wasn't by myself. Uh, I had my mom and my brother uh, with me. Uh, my brother was like in the seventh or eighth grade at that time. Uh, my mom was driving me around, making sure I was always good. So I had my family there um, throughout the year. Um, Undaughter was always coming in and out. And then I had teammates like Andre Hudson, uh, that played at Michigan State and Allen Ray and then went to Villanova and E.B. Jagger uh, that went to um, Penn State. So, you know, I had American players too on the team that were, you know, good teammates and, you know, things like that. So I wasn't really, you know, too much alone. Like, you know, I always had a roommate and things like that on the road. So, you know, I had some good people around. Well, that's awesome to hear. Not everybody has that uh, sports system around them. And then, you know, you touched on too how it could have been a big risk, but you end up going pretty high in the draft and you end up landing with the Milwaukee Bucks at the time uh, coming into the NBA after being a 10th overall pick. Um, for you, being in Milwaukee at the start of your career and then ultimately um, 
kind of wrapping up at the uh, end there in the 2017-18 season with Milwaukee and, and, and you touched on being a part of that championship parade. When you hear the phrase, you know, the city of Milwaukee, what what does Milwaukee mean to you um, having been there for so many years? Uh, it's just, you know, Milwaukee, blue collar, you know, blue collar state, um, you know, it's tough, um, you know, saying they just, you know, say they just keep going. They just keep going no matter what. Um, and I mean, it's just a, it's a place that I can call my second home, um, a city that embraced me, you know, um, in my younger days of my career, four years in Milwaukee, um, you know, we made the playoffs twice and we had a, you know, we had some good, we had some good times. So. Um, you know, that's how I could just sum it up for me. When you look at kind of the totality of your career, you know, from what you thought it would be going pro after coming overseas to the end of your career, what, what did you think of your career overall? Is it what you thought it would be? Um, anything maybe different? Uh, what, what was your, what are your thoughts overall on, on your NBA career? Honestly, um, my career was up and down. It was a lot of inconsistency. Um, and that was just through a lot of things outside of basketball um, that, that kept me a, a, a lot away from focus and from being able to, you know, really, um, you know, say coming to my own. Um, I, feel, I mean, yes, the injury happened in Milwaukee, you know, with the Achilles and things like that, um, you know, but overall to me, um, you know, I just think it was chaos. You know, you mentioned the injury, I, whether it's a Brandon Roy, a Yao Ming, you know, there's, there's always guys that seemingly in the start of their career or in the earlier years, you know, Tracy McGrady went through a bunch of injuries. Unfortunately, it's part of the game, Grand Hill as well. For you, did you ever wonder, you know, what if, what would have happened if maybe you didn't have uh, some of those injuries earlier on in your career at all? Um, I, I would have been an all-star for sure uh, if I don't tear my Achilles. Um, and I believe we make the playoffs that year in Detroit. Um, and then, you know, I end up getting paid or whatever. Um, you know, that probably what happens. But then again, you know, who knows then what happens after that. Um, you know, because I feel like with the injury, you know, that's when chaos started happening, you know, with a lot, a lot outside of my career. Um, and then, so I just feel like with the money, it would have probably been even more chaos for you. Um, you know, you touched on a little bit, you know, the phrase like chaos and like, you know, would have been an all-star what you had the 55 point game or 55, 57, forgive me, I forget, but obviously it was a historical night. But when you had that game, like what, what stuck out to you about it? And I, I mean, I would assume that was your favorite moment in the NBA, but I, I could be wrong. Um, yeah, the 55 point game was something, you know, um, that something I still can't explain. You know, I just got hot and, you know, the ball was just going in. Um, but the crazy thing is I only scored like 10 points in the first half. Um, and, you know, I had a terrible first quarter and I just came out of the second half hot. Um, but that's one of like you, you know yeah I'm sure you know everybody's like man that should be your favorite game but one of my favorite games ever is my first game ever in the NBA when I almost had a triple double um, in Philly um, you know because I started I didn't even know if I was gonna start he told me like the day before and to almost have a triple double that was pretty pretty cool too. 
Were there any things about the NBA that surprised you in your career, whether it was on or off the court? Um, it's a lot of ego, man. It's a lot of ego. And, you know, saying it, it, it takes a very strong leader to, to be able to be able to control the locker room. So, you know, saying because guys, everybody's getting paid. Everybody thinks they should do this. Everybody should think they're better than this and that. So, it's just, you know, the ego and, you know, you start to realize it's a business, like it's really a business. When you, obviously you touched on a little bit about Detroit too, but being a local guy here in, in Brooklyn and New York, I got to ask you, because you, you did spend a year here with the uh, with the Knicks towards the end of your career. What, what was that like for you? Because, I, you know, I always enjoy hearing players' perspectives and being in New York, depending on their personality. You know, it's always made out to be this this big city and, uh, you know, you have to have a certain type of personality. But from from your vantage point, being here that, that one season, what was it like uh, for you before you ended up uh, moving on to Washington later on that season? But what was it like with the Knicks during that time? Uh Man, playing with the Knicks was cool, man. I mean, because I was coming off the Achilles injury, so I was really excited just to be back on the court playing, um, you know, playing with, with guys like Carmelo Anthony, Derrick Rose, and things like that. So, I mean, I had a great time, um, you know, overall, just, you know, living in, you know, putting on the Knicks jersey, you know, being part of that Knicks nation, you know, which is crazy. Um, you know, I, yeah, yeah. So I just had some great times, man. And, you know, I wish things would have worked out better far as, you know, far as how things went down. But, you know, there's just a lot going on too, you know, you know, during that time. So what have you been up to, um, you know, post-NBA? Uh, you played a little bit in Russia, I believe, towards the end of your 20s. But then uh, what have you been doing since then after that? Obviously, we touched on the NFT stuff. But what else have you been up to? Uh, just just my, my clothing brand, Tough Crowd. Um, just growing the brand. Um, you know, just trying to take the next steps with my brand. It's my third year into doing uh, uh, my brand tough crowd with clothes and stuff like that. So uh, I'm just ready for the new beginning and, and the new year finishes and just finish it strong this year. Do you have anything new coming up with the clothing brand that maybe your fans would want to know about? Um, I have a couple big collab meetings with, with a couple shoe companies. Um, so that's all I can say on that. I'm not gonna say the names, but yeah, I have a couple, couple shoe, big shoe companies that might want to collab the next year. So be on the lookout for that. That'd be awesome. Um, other than that, um, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I, I kind of thought of you a little bit too recently because I don't know if you saw OJ Mayo recently, uh, signed the deal to play overseas. Um, have you ever had, um, the itch to either still play, whether it's overseas, I don't know, maybe the big three or anything like that. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that as a former player? Um, no, not really. Um, I told myself I was going to probably get back in shape, um, but I'm not going to force it like or anything like that. Um, you know, I love what I do right now. You know, I have my own brand. I'm able to, you know, experience some things in life um, that's taking me different places. So, you know, we'll see. And last one for me on a basketball perspective. Have you ever thought about going into whether it was coaching, try to do something like front office, things like that? Uh, maybe be like a, 
they would be like an ambassador for the team or something like that, or a creative director for like like a uh, you know NBA team or something like that. Since I'm on the design side now in my life, that's an interesting. Now that's an interesting answer. That's something different and unique. I could. I could see you doing some stuff like that for the Bucks. Um, you know, I won't take credit for it if it happens, but that'd be cool. Um, Brandon, happy to see you are doing well with life. Appreciate you certainly hopping on, taking some time with us to talk about uh, the upcoming stuff you have in the NFT space, your career in general, and and life after basketball. You know, um, for folks that are looking to. Uh, purchase the NFTs and, and things like that. Uh, what's the best way that they could be on the lookout for that? Uh, blackparty.com. Awesome. So there you go, folks. You can check it out on that website. And Brandon, once again, appreciate you hopping on the line with us here on the Hoopside Podcast, brother. Wish you all the best going forward. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for the time, man. Thank you. I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players such as Brandon Jennings, coaches, executives, and media members, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.